We're continuing our journey through the Sermon on the Mount, looking at the Beatitudes in particular, which are kind of this, in a nutshell, uh, what life in the kingdom looks like, what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And this morning we're in verse six, which says this, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the ones hungering, thirsting, longing, desiring righteousness because they will be fed to the full. I don't know if this is a conversation that you have in your house, if you're familiar with something like this. Are you hungry? Yeah, I could eat. Well, what are you hungry for? I don't know, you decide. Well, what do you want to eat for dinner? Whatever you make, right? You have that, ever have that conversation? Or you, you, with your spouse in the car driving to dinner, you haven't decided where to go, and it takes you the entire drive to figure it out. And then when you get there, they're closed, <laughs> right? And meals and meal planning and all the stuff that comes with it can sometimes be a real nuisance in our life, sometimes an inconvenience. And for us, when we think about hunger or thirst, it simply means, hey, it's time to eat. That's what hunger is for us. It's a, it's a signal that it's about meal time. It's breakfast or lunch or dinner. So it's important for us, actually, when, when Jesus talks about hungering and thirsting, it's important for us to step back And at least begin to practice a basic gratitude for the blessings of abundance that we often have. The blessings of plenty. That we don't have to go without. Because most of us enjoy enough. Most of us could eat a meal and be be full at the end, even stuffed at the end, simply because we live in the place that we live and we have the jobs that we have and the blessings that God's given us. Because for many people in the world today, and I would argue for most people in the world today, for the majority of people who've ever lived on planet Earth, hunger and thirst are, are more than just signals that create an argument between you and your spouse. Hunger and thirst are daily, powerful, primal realities. Hunger and thirst signal the difference between life and death. And when we've never experienced true kind of starvation level hunger, when we assume three square meals a day, and maybe even more, if you're like me, hunger and thirst don't mean the same thing as they mean to someone who is not quite sure where their next meal is coming from. So hunger and thirst aren't just neutral words. They're, they drip with necessity and with, with power, with desire. We must eat and drink to survive. Because that's how we've been made. God has made us with bodies that need calories, that need water to survive. So hunger and thirst point us to that fact, point us that there are things necessary to life and survival that we are dependent upon, food and drink. So when when Jesus speaks of hunger and thirst, he's intentionally tapping into these core realities of who we are, of, of what we need to survive. 
But we also know that we're much more than, than simply physical creatures. We need more than just food and water to survive. We don't just need bread and water, calories and hydration. And, and as Jesus has already mentioned in, in chapter four of Matthew, man does not live by what? By bread alone. So hunger and thirst, when Jesus mentions it, goes much, much deeper. It goes to the core longings and the the deepest desires of the human heart, not just the belly, not just our stomachs, not just our appetites, but the core needs and longings of our human heart because we are people who desire. We are people who long for things. We are people who love. We are people who feel And as much as we like to think sometimes that we're just purely rational or or purely logical people, you men out there especially, I see some of you wives doing this to your husbands. As as much as we like to think that, just open up, turn the TV on, open up uh, Google and do a search, uh, scroll through your favorite social media feed and you will see that there are billion dollar companies out there who spend billions of dollars a year tapping into you, not into your mind, not into your rationality, tapping into your desires, tapping into your wants and your longings. And they are really good at it because they get you and me to open up our wallets and give them money. Billions and billions and billions of dollars of money. This is how Google and Amazon and Facebook, this is how they make their money. It's tapping into the deepest desires and longings of the human heart. So, so we have to understand that we're not just thinking creatures. We're not just reasonable. We are desiring creatures. We don't operate just on pure reason and logic. In fact, I would argue we don't operate mostly on reason and logic. We mostly operate from our guts from our feelings and from our desires. These are what truly define us. We are creatures who feel and long and hunger and thirst. And so when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst, he's talking about us. And he knows that that's who we are and how God has made us. Now, the, the key question, though, is what are we hungering and thirsting for? Because the objects of our desire really give us a clue into how we're made and why we were made. And if we can identify and, and nail down an understanding of our longings and desires, this will give us an immense amount of clarity into ourselves. C.S. Lewis, uh, the famous Christian writer who wrote in the middle of the last century, wrote this. He said, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. And Lewis understood that who we are is 
desiring people and that God has made us to have our desires fulfilled in a certain way. Now, there are some religions and belief systems out there like Buddhism where the point of the religion, one of their main aims is to eliminate desire. Because when we desire, we suffer. And if we can remove desiring, we can move suffering. But Christianity is not that kind of religion. Christianity is a religion that recognizes desire and longing as core to who we are, as core to how God has wired us and he wants us. In fact, God expects us to hunger and thirst. He knows that we're people of passion and people of desire. But the question is, what do we desire the most? What do you want the most. And for Jesus, he says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's easy to get Jesus' words backwards in this sentence. It's easy uh, to flip them on their head and instead of saying, I wanna hunger and thirst for righteousness, we end up saying, pursuing happiness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst to be blessed. Instead of longing for God, oftentimes we desire to be blessed by God. And if we start pursuing, I shouldn't say start because this is what we do. We all pursue happiness. We all pursue blessing. And we've got the thing backwards. Because Jesus doesn't say deeply desire happiness and blessing. He says hunger and thirst for righteousness. And when you do that, you'll get the good life too. You'll get the happiness and the blessing that you long for. But only when you pursue, only when you hunger and thirst for righteousness will you be truly blessed. John Calvin famously said that the human heart is like a factory of idols. Like we're really good at creating idols for ourselves, creating things that we will bow down to because they give us what we want creating things to to meet the needs and the desires and the hungers of our souls. So we constantly create and turn to these things because we think they'll make us happy. And and we seek to, to quiet the hunger pangs of our soul with things that won't satisfy. And we constantly feed on all the wrong things. And though we, we feel constantly full, we're actually dying of malnutrition. The prophet Jeremiah, in in his book, he, he said this, from God to the people of Israel, as they were turning away from God to idols, he says, my my people have done two evil things. First of all, they've turned away from me. I am the fount of living waters. I will provide water constantly for their souls, but they've turned away from me, the fount of living waters, and they've turned and they've dug out cisterns for themselves. They've dug out ponds to hold water stagnant, nasty water. And the cisterns can't even hold the water, they're leaky. And that's what we do, we turn away from from God, the fountain of living waters, and we turn to these empty and broken cisterns because we think they'll give us what we want. It's like in life when we get used to eating junk food all the time. Anybody? Good food. Somebody puts, a, somebody puts a salad in front of you and you're used to eating potato chips all the time? 
What do you do? Ooh, that's disgusting. Healthy food almost becomes unpalatable to us. So when we seek, when we pursue constantly things other than God, then our hunger for God, the only one who will truly satisfy us, ebbs and wanes. Because we're made for eternity, but we attempt to fill our empty souls with all the stuff of the world. We're, we're like the rich man from, from Jesus' parable. The rich man in Lazarus. You remember this story? The rich man had all that he wanted, and Lazarus was a, was a beggar who sat outside and picked at his sores, and he ate the, the crumbs from the rich man's dogs. And Jesus said they both died, and, the, and they went to their reward, and the, the, the rich man went to Hades where he was suffering in torment, and he looked up and he saw Lazarus who was with Abraham in paradise. And he sat there in his torment, hungering and thirsting, and his thirst could not be quenched. He said, Abraham, just send Lazarus, have him dip his finger in water and come and, and, and let me just taste the cool of it. This was a man, Jesus said, who had spent his life pursuing all the things of the world to fill up the hunger of his soul, and he spent eternity starving and thirsty. Spent his life filling up on all the wrong things and it left him empty and dry for eternity. So Jesus says, hunger and thirst for righteousness and you will be blessed. Well, what is righteousness? If the right aims of our hunger and thirst is righteousness, what is that? Well, in the very next chapter, uh, Matthew chapter six, Jesus says he urges us to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. The apostle Paul, when he's writing to his protege, Timothy, tells Timothy to pursue righteousness. And, and righteousness is a worthy goal. It's a noble pursuit. It's something that we're meant to hunger and thirst for. But what is it? Well, righteousness is, is one of those big Bible words, right? It's one of those big Bible words that maybe as Christians we throw around but not really know what it means. And in the scriptures, it means a lot of different things. But right here in Matthew, it seems to mean something like holiness, something like living in line with God's law. And so to hunger and thirst for righteousness then is to want to be righteous, to be like God, to, to want to please God through our actions and our lives. Just a few verses later, if you look down in Matthew chapter five, verse 10, Jesus says this, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does it mean to be persecuted for righteousness sake? Well, we get a clue from 1 Peter chapter two, where Peter says, if when you do good, and suffer for it, you endure. There's persecution for doing good. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So, so to be persecuted for righteousness sake is to be persecuted for doing good. Persecution comes on believers, not necessarily because of what they believe, although that's certainly true, but mostly because of how they live. And so righteousness isn't primarily a matter of the mind, it's focused on behavior, right living and right action. But we know for Jesus it doesn't stop there because we look further in Matthew chapter five, 
Verse 20, where Jesus goes straight to our heart and says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, we all know the scribes and the Pharisees, they were the guys that had it together. They did everything right. They crossed every T, they dotted every I, they kept the law perfectly to the last thing. And what did Jesus say about them? You're whitewashed tombs, empty. You do not know God because you are keeping the law on the outside, but your heart is far from God. And, and what, what Jesus is saying here is that if, you're, if your heart does not keep the law and desire true righteousness, if you do not exceed the scribes and the Pharisees, if all you do is keep the outward law, then it's nothing. Law, keeping the law, righteousness comes from the heart. I think that hungering and thirsting for righteousness can be boiled down basically to five things. And the first one is this. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to love the things that God loves. It's to love the things that God loves. So Psalm 33 verse five says, he loves righteousness and justice The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. Psalm 11, verse seven, for the Lord is righteous. He loves righteous deeds. The upright shall behold his face. The Lord loves righteousness. To hunger and thirst for righteousness is to love the things that God himself loves. But on the other hand, to hunger and thirst for righteousness also means to hate the things that God hates, namely sin. Proverbs 8.13, the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Psalm 97, verse 10, oh, you who love the Lord hate evil. Psalm 101, verses two and three, I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the work of those who fall away. It shall not Cling to me. So to hunger and thirst for righteousness, first of all, is to love the things that God loves and to hate the things that God hates, to have the same heart for things that God has. And it begins with hating the sin that's in our own hearts. And so thirdly, to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to recognize that we have absolutely no righteousness in ourselves. And as sinners, we realize that that we should rightly be objects of God's hatred, of God's wrath, because we've rebelled against him, we've committed treason against him, we've thrown his name in the dirt and mashed it. We begin this process of hungering and thirsting for righteousness by mourning our own sin. What's the verse right before this, or two, two before this? Blessed are those who mourn. We mourn our own lack of righteousness. We, like the Apostle Paul, struggle with sin like this. In Romans 7, he says, for I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. 
So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Wretched man, he says, that I am. This is the Apostle Paul. I mean, he's like all-star saint. He's like first string on Jesus' team. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? So even Paul struggled and he said, I have no righteousness in myself. Any righteousness that I have is like filthy rags. But rather than feeding our sinful desires, we should be like Paul who mourns over them, who wrestles with the sinful tendencies that are still present within him. And like Paul, we should look to, we must look to our ultimate righteousness in the sight of God coming not from ourselves, but from another. From the finished work of Christ on our behalf. We have nothing to bring to God in ourselves, but Christ died for us and his righteousness, his perfect keeping of the law covers us. It brings us forgiveness of sins. It draws us into his presence as his children who can now truly hunger and thirst for righteousness and become holy. And that's the next thing I would give you, that to hunger and thirst for righteousness is to long for holiness. We should desire our lives to conform to the things that God loves and to be free from the things that God hates. We should hunger for Christ to be formed in us, for him to be formed in others. We should should thirst to live in the way that God created us to live and truly experience freedom. Jesus himself, when he described his own desires, his own hungering and thirsting for righteousness and obedience, he said this in John chapter four. Jesus said to his, his disciples, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. For Jesus, it was like eating, it was like nourishing himself to obey God. As Psalm 119 tells us, my soul is consumed with longings for your rules at all times. See, the one who hungers and thirsts for righteousness will say along with Jesus, it's better to die of hunger than to disobey God. And then finally, to hunger and thirst for righteousness is ultimately to long for God above all other things. Jesus is pretty clear that we're made with longings that can only be filled by God. We're we're made with desires that only God can meet. And even though our desires often go astray, that doesn't mean that desire itself is a bad thing. St. Augustine, who was a a bishop in northern Africa in the uh, 4th century AD, 4th and 5th century said this, God has made us for himself and our heart is restless until it rests in him. God has certainly made us for himself and, and the scripture from beginning to end is filled with the expression of these, the deepest longings of the human heart that cry out for, for a fulfillment that can only be met in him. So Psalm 27, four, one thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple 
The psalmist wanted nothing more than to be in God's presence. Psalm 42, 1 and 2. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul in thirst for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? Psalm 63, 1 through 3. O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there's no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. Do you, do you hear, do you see, do you, do you feel the hunger and the desire and the passion for God? Psalm 84, I'll keep going. Psalm 84, one and two. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the, course, for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. In Isaiah chapter 26, eight and nine. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desire of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. And this is just a sampling of texts from the Bible where this desire, this longing is expressed, a longing that can only be fulfilled by God. You will find it, you will find scripture bursting with this kind of thing from one end to the other. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they shall be satisfied. And what satisfied means, what satisfaction is, is being filled to the full. But being filled to the full doesn't mean that we stop hungering and thirsting. If you eat a big dinner on Friday night, how are you doing on Saturday morning? You're usually hungry again, right? I could eat, right? When the Israelites were in the wilderness, God provided for their hunger on a daily basis through manna. He didn't build a, a big walk-in cooler for, for them and a big pantry so they would have enough for the next day. He gave them their food day by day. He provided for their thirst with water from the rock. And our spiritual hunger, our spiritual thirst is a pointer to the deepest needs and longings of our souls. And now we have a constant source of satisfaction. We have a, a constant source of fulfillment for those desires, and his name is Jesus. Jesus, our Savior, our daily bread, our water, a constant spring of, of living waters to whom we can come to day in and day out, returning to him over and over, and he never gets sick of it, coming to him to have our souls satisfied, he says to his people, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me shall never thirst. John chapter seven, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is the manna that we can come to, to be filled. He's the, the water of life to slake our parched souls. He's also the one that with his own righteousness makes us righteous and confirms in us more and more what he's doing from one degree of glory to another. First Corinthians says that 
Because of him you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. Jesus has become our righteousness if we put our faith in him and he is here ready to pour out all that we need. So let me ask you this question. How is your spiritual appetite? Philosopher Jamie Smith has pointed out that discipleship is more a matter of hungering and thirsting than of knowing and believing. It's more a matter of hungering and thirsting than of knowing and believing. And our, our spiritual health necessitates that we evaluate, we, t- we take stock of our hungers and our thirsts and the ways in which we meet those hungers and thirsts or try to. So I wanna give you four diagnostic questions as a start. And today as we come to the table, as we take communion today, we take of bread and juice. It's not gonna fill you up. It's just a little bit. But it points to a a fuller fountain. It, It points to bread that does not go away, that does not go bad. It points us to Jesus. So let me give you these four questions and then we'll come to the table. Ask yourself this, do I love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates? Especially when I find these things within myself. Do I have God's heart? Secondly, do I give up trying to satisfy the cravings of my own soul with things that will not satisfy? Every morning do I come, will I come? Am I eager to come? Am I, am I open to come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I am gonna turn away from you today because all these other things, money, work, relationship, sex, alcohol, drugs, pornography, whatever it is, I'm gonna turn to these things, Jesus, and I don't want to, I need your help. Do you bring those things to Jesus, willing to drop them and turn to him to fulfill your hunger instead of the things that will not satisfy? Third question, do I turn to God daily to satisfy my hunger and thirst? Do I say with the psalmist, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good, or he satisfies, Psalm 107, the longing soul and the hungry soul, he fills with every good thing. Only he can satisfy your soul, brothers and sisters. And then finally, as I come to Jesus, who is my righteousness, are my heart, my desires, my actions, can I look at my life and see that they're truly being transformed on a daily basis to look more and more like him. And the more and more that we take our hunger and our thirst for righteousness to God, the more and more we seek him to fill that in us, the more and more we will become like him. Do you see him changing your life? Do others see that in you? Are you becoming more and more righteous like Jesus? So as you come this morning to the table, we have communion stations in the front and we have some in the lobby, I believe, as well. I'd encourage you to come up and grab your, uh, grab your stuff and head back to your seats. You can take this individually on your own. You can take communion with a family or with some others, but I would encourage you as you come to be asking yourself these questions. Do I hunger and thirst for God? And and as you take of this reminder of the gospel, this reminder of Jesus' 
body and blood, broken and spilled out for you, paying for you, becoming your righteousness as you take of them, as you eat and as you drink. My prayer is that God would meet you in this place, call you to repentance if he needs you, give you joy, fill your heart even in this. And if you've never come to Christ, If you know all these ways that you have been pursuing these other things to satisfy your soul, but you've never turned to the one who made you for himself, today is the day. I'd encourage you to come during this time. There'll be people up here who would love to talk to you, elders perhaps, others, who would come and would pray with you would talk to you, would open the word and point you to Jesus. You can go back to the prayer room too because I think Linda will be back in the prayer room. She'd love to pray with you about these things. So let's come, pray with me. Jesus, as we come to you, we recognize you are the fount of living waters, you are the bread of life and that our souls, our longings can only be filled in you. They can only be met in you, we can only be satisfied in you. And so this morning, God, as we come, as we take this bread, as we take this juice, this wine, remember your body and blood. We remember that you poured yourself out so that we could be full. You emptied yourself so that we could be filled up. We praise you for that, we remember that, but more than anything, God, would you draw our hearts, our minds, our faith to trust in that, to know that, to rest in that fulfillment. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled to the full. Pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.